Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're calling in from around the world. Welcome to Gaia Radio's four-part series called Transition Conversations. This series is brought to you by a partnership between Gaia University and the Transition Network. Today is the kickoff of the series. I'm so grateful that you are all able to arrive on time. The topic today is getting ready to fundraise, resourcing your group or projects in partnership with the We Economy Project. And on today's call, we have two presenters, Tina Clark of the Transition US and Nicola Hillary of the Fundraising Manager for Transition Network. My name is Jennifer English, and I'll be facilitating today's call. I have a couple of announcements that I'd like to get us started off with, and then we'll get going. Okay, so we're going to be using Maestro Conference platform. Hopefully a lot of you have received the um, message that was sent two hours ago with the screen share link. So you could go ahead and get that popped open. Again, the email would come from Maestro Conference, and there's a link in there. You can pop it open. We're actually not going to start the presentation for about another 20 minutes, but if you could make sure you have it open and we know that it's working, that would be great. If at any time that you are having trouble with any technology, that means that your audio is not working or you know, one way or the other you can't speak or you can't hear us or the screen share link isn't working for you, Press number one, and myself or my colleague, Ava Klinger, from Guy University, will do our best to get to you as soon as possible and see how we can help. During the call today, we're also going to be using different types of connection. Um, we're going to be able to raise hands to communicate and offer suggestions and questions to our presenters. If at that time you feel called to speak, if you could press number two, and um, I'll either call on you immediately or call on you as soon as it is appropriate. So again, that's pressing a number one for any IT needs, and we'll do our best to help you behind the scenes, and pressing number two, and I'll bring you directly into the main room where you'll be able to hear, um, your, we'll hear, hear everyone in the, the central room where I'm speaking right now. For the agenda today, we're going to go back and forth with a little bit of um, participant check-in. We're also going to have some um, small group brainstorming. And as I said, the presentation takes some time for questions and answers. And we also, as I said, have two um, folks presenting today, so we'll get to hear from both of them. But to get us started off, I would like to first introduce Tina Clark. We're lucky to have her on the call today. Tina is a certified transition trainer who has been helping nonprofit and grassroots groups accomplish change since 1985. She's earned a master's in public policy and worked in environmental human rights, peace, and domestic policy social movements for many years and has since started helping nonprofits and community groups fundraise. So welcome, Tina. We're delighted to have you on the call. I'm going to go ahead and turn your mic on, and if you would get us started, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's great to be with everybody. 
So I'm very excited to get us going. We wanted to start with some introductions and learning more about your projects and what you're interested in raising money for. Jennifer, would you like to help us with all your good technology skills? Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick reminder that um, as people are, again, wanting to share, you just need to press number two, and I will will call on you. Is there anything else, Tina, that you wanted me to go over? Oh, that's great. Uh-huh. So first we wanted to invite people to say their name and the community they're calling from. Okay. So I'm just going to... Um, look around to see if anyone has their hand raised. And, um, you know, I'm not quite sure what technology you're using to call in on, but you can surely press 2 on your Skype pad, your cell phone, your phone, um, whatever keypad you've got in front of, in front of you. Okay, so Scarlett, Dally, go ahead and share, please. Okay, I'm going to um, ask Scarlett again. Are you on self-mute? Okay, let's jump to someone else. How about let's try Martin Grimshaw. Hello there. Uh, my name is Martin Grimshaw from Brighton on the south coast of England. Did you hear that okay? Yep. Yes. Thanks. Wonderful. And actually, why don't folks say what you're interested in raising money for, if you'd like mine? So very, very briefly, um, I'm at the very, very early stages uh, of trying to restart uh, a transition initiative in Brighton, um, where there used to be um, um, a large-ish uh, group that, uh, that died away. And so, in particular, I'm, I'm really looking ahead to how this might be funded in the future. But in my dream world, I'm also thinking what kind of startup funding might be available, in particular, uh, to uh, pay for people to actually work on the project to help really get it up and running. So, Great. startup funding. Great. Great. Thanks, Martin. Okay. There's a, a bunch of people who have raised their hand. I'm excited to hear who you all are. So now let's go to Francesca. Hi. Hello. Um, my name is Francesca. Um, do you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, my name is Francesca Escobar. I, I am in Chile, in Santiago, uh, here in South America. Um, I am looking to raise funds for several projects that I work for um, in the city and also for possibly for students of Gaia here in Latin America. Um, we've started, um, I work with, with Gaia University um, on this project in Latin America, and we're Great. looking also to raise maybe funds for scholarships. Wonderful. Thanks, Francesca. Great. Excellent. Okay, and folks, just assume that we can hear you unless we ask for you um, to speak again. So let's go ahead and try Tom. Tom Halibut. Oh, good morning. Uh, Tom from Sydney. And uh, happy to be here. Uh, so we'd be looking to raise funds. Uh, actually, yeah, our transition group is Transition Parramatta, which is uh, just in the, in the middle of Sydney. 
and uh, one of the things we're looking to do is to uh, do a bit more in the way of training uh, to to carry on with the uh, research of concept in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Great, thanks, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and then we have Charles Dibro. Hi everyone. Uh, my name is Charles Thibodeau. I'm calling in small town of Shediac in the province of Brunswick, Snowy Atlantic, Canada. Uh, we're just starting out with a transition um, town here. I guess we're just forming the initiating group. Um, so we're looking at things uh, like expanding the community garden, uh, a food security action group, uh, a ride share program, also training for facilitators, and uh, the many other working groups uh, that are yet to be formed. So happy Great. to be here. Thanks, Charles. And I know myself that Charles is also another guy, university associate. Great to have you on the call. Okay, and then we have a Judy Hyde. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Tina. Hi, Judy. Hi there. I'm calling from Coventry, Connecticut and was in the training by Tina here a couple of years ago. Currently, I'm involved in a very related project called the Institute for Regenerative Learning, which is looking to provide a, a, a farmland base for young people to be mentored by older people and to learn how to make a living at things that are good for the earth and for the community. It's very much along the Charles Eisenstein model of the new story we're trying to create together. Great. Oh, Judy, it's wonderful to hear about it. Thanks for being there. Great. Uh -huh. Thanks, Judy. All right, let's go to Wendy Johnston. Hi, Wendy. I'm speaking from Nova Scotia from a small town on the North Shore uh, called Tatamagush. I'm close to you, Charles, not very far away. Um, we have had a transition initiating group here for about three years, but um, aside from the food group, things have kind of slowed down, and I think we need some kind of renewal. So I'm curious to know what uh, fundraising's role might be in that. Great, Wendy. Hi. Hi. Okay, and then we have Joshua Nusik. I'm not sure how to say your last name. I apologize if you could say it for us. <laughs> Uh, hi all, I'm Joshua Masika. Um, it's quite funny to hear so many people from Atlantic Canada because I'm originally from Nova Scotia, but at the moment I'm um, in Scotland and I'm calling in on behalf of Transition University of St. Andrews, which is my university. Um, and we're facing, we're currently benefiting from a large amount of funding from the Scottish government that we were lucky enough to receive, but we're facing a funding cliff in March 2015, um, and we kind of want to plan ahead um, and see what options we have for starting our own social enterprise or raising our own funds in a slightly more sustainable way. Great. Thank you, Joshua. Okay, we have maybe three more folks who've got their hands raised. Maggie? Hi, this is Maggie Fleming, and I'm here with Caroline Staten in California. We're both co-directors at Transition US, and are really excited to be on this call. We've got lots of fundraising needs. Kind of two that I'll share for this call are around raising funds to help 
local initiatives here in the U.S. roll out transition streets and also just general capacity uh, funding to help support the core. Great. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Carol. Hi. <laughs> okay. Let's see about going back to Scarlett. I was wondering maybe if you were on self-mute before. Can you hear us, Scarlett? Yes, Scarlett thank you. Yeah. There yeah, you are. This is, this is Scarlett, and I'm here with Joni, and we're in Livingston, Montana. Um, and we're two of an initi initiating group um, just in our first year of awareness raising and um, love to figure out how to raise funds to help with that project, you know, to, to be able to get movies and do advertisement. And also we, we have a dream of having an office here and um, want to figure out some fundraising to be able to um, maybe make that happen. So thanks so much. Great. All right. Sounds like right, we're well, – go ahead. I was just going to say let's hear from one more person. Is that okay, Tina? Sure. Okay, great. So we have one more folk who wants to speak. Kate Marnell. Kate, your microphone is on. Are you on self-mute? Okay, well, I'm not hearing Kate, so you were, you were right, Tina. Let's go ahead and move on. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. And again, as we continue, please press your hand with um, a number two so that we can make sure to, to call on you like we just have all these wonderful folks who shared. Great. Lovely job, Jennifer. So we have um, a little PowerPoint today to go over some of the key topics here. And then we're going to um, do some more input in getting your involvement and thoughts. Um, so shall we go ahead? Um, can you all see the Getting Ready to Fundraise PowerPoint? Tina, there's two more folks that have just raised their hand. I'm wondering, do you want to go ahead and see if they have questions, or maybe they want to check in, or do you want to dive into the presentation? Sure, we can take folks. We're ahead of schedule, so that's great. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So there's two folks who raised their hand right as um, you began talking, and let's see what What's up with um, Daniela? I, you don't have your last name listed, but Daniela? Yes. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, hello. Uh, yes, I just have a technical problem uh, because I, I, I wasn't quite sure what is the difference between the meeting ID number and the meeting password. I mean, I do have a password, but I don't know what's the other one, meeting ID. Okay. That's all. Sorry. Daniela, I'm going, no worries. I'm going to let Ava um, take you into a private room and help you out with uh, IT. So, folks, if you have any IT questions, please raise your hand with the number one. Um, that way we don't have to bring you into the main room and we can just um, take you behind the scenes and Ava, my colleague from Guy University, will help you out. So same thing with um, Jensen. Did you want to check in or do you have some other Jensen viewers? Well, um, I was just going to check in. Okay, go for it. Um, yeah, my name is Jensen Buehler. I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm part of the transition Madison area there, but I've, like I heard a few other people say that it's kind of just at like a standstill and it's not really like too up and forthcoming. Um, they kind of coincide with the permaculture guild, I've noticed, so um, a lot of things are more directed towards the permaculture guild than transition Madison area. 
so yeah, just kind of trying to get some more like empowerment in that would be nice. <laughs> Great, thanks, Jensen. Well, there's more folks raising their hand. Um, Jared Wesley, did you want to say hello to the group too? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, this is Jared from Germany. I'm uh, involved in uh, university town here in Germany called Bielefeld, 300,000 people. And we look for funding at the moment for transition streets also and related projects. And I'm also quite involved in the German Transition Network. And fundraising is becoming a big issue for us as well. So I'm happy to be here with you. Absolutely. Happy to have you. Okay. And then Alexandra Wax, did you want to share something? Oh, hello. Um, yes, I'm um, in Marlborough in Wiltshire in England. Um, and I'm part of the transition group here. Um, and at the moment, we're all volunteers, but some of us actually need to earn a living, so it would be useful to have um, sources of funding and an office for all the projects that we do. Great. Excellent. Okay, well, I guess I have my hand raised, too. So my name is Jennifer English, and I just wanted to also share, not only am I facilitating the call, but I also am part of a transition initiative here in the United States in Tennessee called Transition Hohenwald, Lewis County, and we became the 25th transition town in the U.S. and have been going at it since 2006 and became a transition town, I think, in 2008 and um, had some real bumps in the road, but um, still going strong. Fundraising has always been one of our biggest issues, though, so I'm excited to hear as well. So with that, with our final check-in from me, Tina, I'm going to hand it back over to you, and you can guide us through the, the rest of the call. Great. Well, it's wonderful to be with you all, and it sounds like we have a range of needs, pretty much the, um, the full range from startup to restart, uh, renewal, um, expansion, project funding, training and organizational development funding, and what to do if you're about to lose funds, that you've had some good funding and um, you want to try to keep it going. So I'm going to jump in here to start, um, start a PowerPoint. Are we, can you all see the PowerPoint? Is that, are we all set, Jennifer? Then? I'm pretty sure oh. that everyone is on track with that, or okay. I think there would have been more people raising their hand with the number one. Okay, so great. I think you're all so, set. I'll, I'll interrupt you if there's any issues, okay? Okay, sounds good. Mm -hmm. So we're, this is the first of a transition conversation series organized by Naresh Giangrande of Transition Network and Transition Training. And with the Reeconomy Project, which is starting um, an online course, um, an online how to raise money, how to write a proposal course that will start March 27th. And since we can't accommodate more than about five initiatives in that um, re-economy course, resourcing re-economy, um, we thought we'd offer this free webinar and tape it so that all of you could have a chance to get some of the basics. And um, we're planning on, on offering the resourcing the re-economy uh, online course again in the future, and there's a whole range of trainings available from transition training. So I encourage you to go to the transitionnetwork.org website 
and check out all the terrific um, free resources and these various webinars that are just um, really fun to, to be a part of and to, um, to learn from. So um, we also especially want to say thank you to Guy University for providing all your technical support. It's really a great gift to help us do this work. Okay, so um, I'm a certified transition trainer. Um, been working mostly in in the North American eastern side of the North American continent um, as a trainer over the last five years. And um, this, but this um, resourcing. Uh, work started for me when I was a part of some national social change movements back in the 80s. I, um, I graduated with, with a degree um, in peace and nuclear weapons policy, went to Washington, and soon found that all the organizations, and this continued for the, the many years that I worked in various um, social change, environmental, human rights, and peace groups, that often the people raising the money did not understand the mission of the organization and all kinds of conflicts emerged. So after, I, um, after about 15 years, I, I became the director of a local nonprofit funding resource center that's part of a national network in the U.S. and provided a lot of training and have done a lot of consulting for groups on this. So I'm, I'm sort of an activist who, like you, figured out that we had to figure uh, the money stuff and the fundraising. Um, today we're going to talk about types of funders, types of fundraising. Um, there's a particular way of thinking about fundraising strategies that was created by a, a wonderful expert that I knew back in the 80s. And um, it's called the GIVES options, the GIVES strategies talk about who gives grants and what do funders look for and the importance of a good board of directors and then take some questions. So first, types of funders. Um, this is just very general categories and, and you'll recognize government, private foundations, which can be a corporate foundation um, like, you know, like the Microsoft Corporation may set up a foundation and endow it. Or it can be a wealthy family like the Rockefeller Family Fund here in the U.S. has provided a lot of fund for, funds for environmental groups. Or it can be an individual, um, Bill and Melinda Gates, setting up their own foundation. Grant-making public charities are when there are more than one donor, more than one benefactor. And community foundations across the United States are a good example of that. Um, Nicola, do you have that in, in the U.K. as well where there are um, local regional community foundations? Is that something that's common in Europe? That was a surprise question to Nicola. Um, but some communities and some provinces and states um, and different countries around the world have, have funds that have been set up where many people contribute, and so they're called a, a public charity. Faith communities are another example. Um, they often take in lots of funds and then re-grant to other entities. And then corporate giving programs are where a company decides to give some furniture or some money to a particular organization, usually in their own backyard, something that's highly visible. Sometimes it's in-kind help. They might loan their lawyer to help you set up your nonprofit status, or they might um, help send their accountant over to help you get your financial systems in place. And then there's individual donors, which for, for really for the transition movement and grassroots groups is actually the backbone of the work we do. Um, when I was at Greenpeace, 
we had two million individual donors. Um, you know, it, it's often the, the grassroots small donations, the events that we do, um, various things that we sell to members that really provide the backbone. In the United States, about 73% of all donations are from individuals. So, you know, three quarters is really, um, I mean, I should say from, pri that doesn't include government, um, but from private foundations, corporations versus individuals, 75% is from individuals. So we're not going to talk about that extensively today, but that's um, a really important topic, and there are some resources that um, I will send to you for individual grassroots fundraising. Types of fundraising, again, government grants, foundation grants, corporate giving programs, charities. Um, you know, many foundations, uh, I'm sorry, many charities have, like local churches, have provided space and copying equipment, et cetera. Sponsorships, um, where people hold events or you have a campaign and you ask um, dignitaries or organizations or businesses or government to provide support. Conferences are often funded this way. Individual fundraising, we mentioned events and product sales and services sold, which is actually a huge, huge proportion of what individuals give to support their favorite causes. Now, Mal Warwick and Stephen Hitchcock um, had created this idea of gives, five different strategies for fundraising. And the five strategies are growth, involvement, visibility, efficiency, and stability. And you can think of these as um, going from startup to a mature organization. So the growth strategy is particularly helpful when you're getting off the ground. Um, when you're trying to get a lot of people engaged, you're trying to build up your program and attract the attention of funders um, where you begin. It's, it's really how transition initiatives are, are functioning on the ground as we start out getting lots of people connected in a network, and then we start holding events or doing programs and asking people to make small donations or larger donations. Involvement is the second stage in your organizational development and your fundraising development where you're starting to engage people in various ways as volunteers, as regular donors, as partners, as, um, you know, as, as colleagues in various ways. You might be holding conferences together. Um, you might be doing a, an annual gathering, um, a celebration. Visibility is the next stage of maturity in both fundraising and your organization where you've established yourself. You've, in, in the involvement stage, you're starting to write those job descriptions and get more formalized. In the visibility stage, you're focusing on reaching beyond the already converted, reaching to new sectors of the community, and media becomes particularly important, big events, um, partnerships that um, engage new populations. Efficiency is the stage where you, you um, realize you need to um, hone your work, your, um, your communications internally. You need to become very efficient in your operations because the newness of your project has, has um, often worn off. You're continually reinventing your programs and projects, but you're trying to make sure that you're not overspending on overhead or um, wasting your, your valuable resources because you've gained some credibility in the community, you've established yourselves as a nonprofit organization, and you want to be able to show your donors 
that you're not spending 30-40% of their donation just to run your operations. You want to show them that most of their money is going straight into the programs. And then stability is, is often uh, organizations that become a fixture in the community. And uh, we see that Totnes has really, um, Transition Town Totnes has been a wonderful model of that where people begin to say, you know, this is going to be a long process and I want to leave, you in, I want to leave your organization in my will. Um, I want to, want to provide um, a steady stream of income through my family foundation or I want to um, make an annual donation as an individual. So the stability requires all sorts of additional kinds of, um, of fundraising methodologies. Now for this call, I'm, I'm really going to focus on the growth and a little bit on the involvement strategies because that's where most of you are. But there's also, you know, I just want to give you that that uh, source of Mal Warwick and Stephen Hitchcock and mention these various strategies so that if you're at another place, you can jump right to those resources um, that he offers, which are, are quite good. Okay, so who does get grants out of all the thousands and thousands of people who might apply um, to a, a big foundation in a year? Who gets the money? It's, it's about being seen as a viable, effective, um, you know, capable organization. And there are five core pieces that you've really got to have in place before you can even think of going to anybody um, with any sizable funds. You can go to individuals and ask for money right away. But if you're going to go to any kind of institutional funder, um, you need to have these five in place. And we're going to talk about them more. Defining your vision and mission, meeting the legal requirements, building your board of directors, planning projects or programs. You know, all it takes is one good project, really. Um, but you might find that there are different parts of the community that you want to engage and that you want to bundle several projects together to show that you are um, a multifaceted organization serving a broader range of people. Or you might decide that given your volunteers and your capacity, you want to keep focused on one project, and that's really up to you. But having some kind of program design or plan, at least a year's worth of program planning. And then a budget and timeline, how much money you need, what kinds of resources you need, and when you're going to do the work. Now, the legal requirements, I'm going to send you this PowerPoint, and I decided to keep all this verbiage in here for you. But let's just quickly look at the bullets. First, you need to research it in your own locality. Second bullet point, um, you, you're going to need to be legal uh, in most cases. And that means being an official nonprofit organization, um, or we're going to talk about a couple of other options. But if you are a legal nonprofit, um, you need to have a purpose that's to benefit the public. And now you might actually be serving a fairly small portion of you know, the public and still get away with calling yourself a nonprofit. There's lots of um, symphonies and universities and, you know, that are quite exclusive. But you have to at least say, and that's not us, thank God, but um, it is a lot of the a lot of the foundations out there do give money to maintain sort of the um, upper class status quo, shall we say, to preserve their quality of life. And so one of the um, things you want to look at carefully when you're evaluating a foundation is their track record to see who they actually give money to. They may say that they care about youth um, and you know youth education, but maybe they're giving it all to a private school that their grandchildren go to. So you want to... Um, kind of scrutinize each funder 
and not just go with the superficial view. Um, but they all have to do they all have to benefit somebody beyond themselves. The income cannot benefit private individuals. So profit making cannot be the primary goal. Now a lot of people have questions about that. They say, well, how do you stay in business if, if your nonprofit doesn't make any profit? Well, you have income. You have sources of income and revenue, but they're not for a profit-making motive. They're to serve the community. So people still get paid. It's just that, that you've got a larger purpose, and that's why people fund you, is to, is to do something beyond yourselves. Um, and also in many countries, your ability to lobby on bills and, and policies and legislation um, and your ability to be involved in political campaigns is highly restricted, although we've seen that there's lots of um, manipulations going with that in this country anyway. Okay, um, the third bullet point, in the U.S., foundations are permitted to make grants to individuals and organizations, but they have to follow some very specific, strict rules. And mostly that means reports, so you've got to be providing them with a lot more documentation and information. But for example, we've got um, a funder who funds grassroots groups in the Northeast United States, and they're fabulous. If you have a bank account, um, they'll send you three or $5,000 if you are fulfilling their um, purpose. Um, fourth bullet point, sometimes funders will make grants to organizations where you're in process. So let's say you've applied for a tax-exempt status, but you really need money now. Um, you, can, you can check with a foundation and see if they're rigid about only giving to groups that have an official legal status. Um, and then be sure on the fifth bullet to consult with attorney, an attorney or a technical assistance agency, some kind of nonprofit. In the United States, we have what's called the Foundation Center, and they're a huge a network of libraries and um, massive online presence that you can do all kinds of research in. And many countries have um, versions of this where you can learn about what's, uh, what you need to do online. And finally, um, what most of you will do if you're getting started is you'll affiliate with an existing organization. And this is called getting a fiscal sponsor or a fiscal agent for your project. And this is a fantastic way to get started. Um, if you're not sure how big you're going to grow or how much energy and time you have to put into this, because becoming a legal nonprofit can take quite a bit of resources and time. So if you want to skip all of that work, and sometimes it can be you know, a year or two to get it all set up, um, you can start off just by finding another organization. Uh, for example, Transition US was a fiscal agent for me when I was getting started on training and reaching out to communities in inner cities. And, um, and I got a grant for 10000 to fund my work and passed it through Transition US. Um, and, and so you can make an arrangement like that with a funder to, uh, to be your fiscal sponsor. So what do funders look for? We're going to go through these questions in, um, in the rest of this program. But I just wanted to give you this list of it in a question format so you can take to your meetings and give people a quick summary of some of the key things to be thinking about. They're going to look to see that you match their legal interests, what they've publicly said they're trying to do with their foundation money or their government grant funding. Um, they're going to ask if you match those, those publicly stated interests, but then you're going to want to think to yourself, okay, what are the unspoken or unacknowledged interests that are going on? Uh, for example, a government grant or request for proposals might say, a whole bunch of things, but you're going to really want to scrutinize that request for proposal and talk to people and go to any kind of 
webinars or programs where they explain the purposes of this, this money, this grant funding, because um, there may be a twist to it um, that it's really about supporting local businesses. And unless you, you know, do your research, you won't find that out and you'll miss the target. So um, that's the, really the name of the game is to understand what are the, the other interests and what are the particular fads and fashions going on you know, within the foundation world. And, and there are some great um, networks in, in most countries where you can learn about um, the various fads and fashions. One big one that's happened a lot in the United States is that the funders really want to be involved in deciding what your programs are, which is really annoying if you spend a lot of time serving your grassroots groups and you're figuring out all the best strategies and you're building consensus as a team. And then you go to a funder and they say, well, we think you ought to do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes it's really, it can feel way off the mark. Um, so you're going to want to begin this process of exploring who your potential funders are right away so that you can be incorporating that into your plan. Or you can do what many of us have done in our lives, and that is to say, you know, we're, we're going to figure out how to do a lot of this um, with voluntary labor so that we can have complete freedom and not have to be influenced by um, what the foundation or the funder or the government entity wants us to do. And that can be a really important political issue and credibility issue in some countries where if you get aligned with the wrong government agency or funder, um, or if down the road they take a position on GMOs you know, as a, for biofuels um, and you're trying to do renewable energy, you can, you can really get caught. So it's, it's important to think through as a group how important is money really and, and um, what kinds of support do we want to go for that doesn't jeopardize who we are. Um, whether they like your project, whether they think you'll make a difference, whether they see you as capable of doing what you say you're going to do. Um, are you going to make them look good? Can they brag about you? Are you going to make them embarrassed? <laughs> you know? um, again, you, know, you might want to be in a place where you can, can really envision your community's future 50 years from now. What I often do with that is encourage an inside game and an outside game. So you find a, a group that wants to get all the official funding, and then you um, encourage uh, others in the community to ask for what they think needs to happen. And this has been a very successful social change strategy in, um, in many parts of the world where you've got basically people out in the streets or the grassroots who are working for a transformational vision, and then you've got people who are getting funding from a government agency who, um, who kind of uh, – you know, say, well, we're not going to do that piece, but we'll do all these other pieces that don't got to get us into hot water with the community. And so um, if you're working together, you can avoid fighting and, in fact, build a much stronger movement by um, being clear about where those uh, political, you know, tough points are. Um, do they know you or do they know somebody who recommends you or do they see you as endorsed? Uh, this kind of credibility is really, really essential. And do you follow their rules without them having to remind you? Do you get the reports in on time? Do you meet their deadlines? Um, and really something that goes unspoken, do you appreciate them? Do you give them recognition for the support? Do you help them feel like your accomplishments are their accomplishments? And so that they're really a partner in this work. It's not that they're some you know, intimidating force out there, but they're actually your colleagues and you're keeping them up to date with what you're doing and showing them that they are critical to, to making this, this work happen. So 
I want to just emphasize how important it is that you really figure out if you match their interests and not waste your time if you don't. Um, and, and you can go with what they publicly have announced, um, but also see what the news media says about them or see who the members of their board of directors are, their trustees, um, and, and see what those folks are doing with their lives and what they care about. If somebody had a child um, you know, die of cancer, has, has somebody um, been through uh, you know, a loss of um, a business and really understands how that feels? You, you, you think of them as your colleagues um, and your community, um, extended community family, and, and get to know them. There's lots of time wasted on writing mission statements, and I'm going to encourage you to make them very short, very sweet, and not try to write the perfect mission statement. You basically just need to answer three questions in a few sentences. Who are you serving? Who's the population you're serving? Your community, um, the breadth and the diversity of your community in most cases for you all. Why are you serving them? And that's not a complete description of every problem that we're trying to solve. It's, it's simply a few words that captures the essence of, of why you exist. And how, what are the general types of activities that you're doing to make the world a better place? So make your mission statement short, exciting, make it a motivator for people. It's what you're doing now. A vision statement, by contrast, is what the world would like if you accomplished your mission. We all know about uh, vision here in transition, that it's where we envision how it would look and feel, as Sophie and Naresh have, um, have uh, helped us um, learn. And the mission statement is where we get very practical and say, this is the piece of the puzzle that our group is going to work on. We're going to network people together. We're going to um, help the community start and launch creative projects, etc. So the programs, projects, another key piece of what you want to figure out right away. Make sure you're addressing a real need. Make sure the programs are um, you know, run it by uh, people who are not part of your group. Make sure they think it sounds like a good idea. Um, try to have partners as much as you can because foundations like to see that you know how to collaborate. Uh, make sure that your project is like Goldilocks, not too big, not too small, that it's just the right size. Think of yourselves as um, you know, like transition projects are often the facilitators. I think of us as the um, decomposing bacteria or the um, micro, you know, the microchondria. You know, guys know how to say that. The uh, the linkages between all the the species, the ground, the the, the garden, earth, um, that lots of things can grow from. So you want to define what your identity is in relation to all these other creative projects that are starting up. Or if you're a project, make sure not to look like an egomaniac. Um, don't try to be too big. Don't try to be everything because you don't leave any room for your neighbors and your, and your you know, friends in the community. And foundations will pick up on that right away. And you might be subject to some bad-mouthing and criticizing behind your back. You might have the best project ever and then be surprised not to get funding because, in fact, you've made yourself too big. Um, or don't be too small where you're not doing anything significant enough. I remember a, a guy who started um, a major program in California back in the early 80s, um, the beginnings of their renewable energy program, and he got all kinds of great government funding for it. And um, he chose the goal of 10% renewable energy in 10 years. And I asked him, how did you pick 10%? He said, well, it wasn't, it wasn't so big that we couldn't do it. It wasn't too small to not be interesting. You want to also focus on measurable objectives. You want to be able to show funders you got real 
work done on the ground and show them that you know how to evaluate your work and that you're a learning organization. I'm just going to pause here for a moment to see if there are any questions and see if there's any um, major confusion. All right. Um, actually, I'd love to just um, quickly ask if, if people want to, how many of you, raise your hand if you are already a legal nonprofit. You're already um, a legal nonprofit. Jennifer, how many hands do yeah, you Yeah, how about we do this? How about let's raise your hand with a number three if you're already a nonprofit, and then a two if you have a question, because I think there are some questions. I've been kind of waiting okay. for you to pause. So a three if you're a nonprofit, and a two if you have a question. Okay, let's just kind of the votes are coming in. How about we'll take questions while we wait for people to raise their hand about the nonprofit? Sure. Okay, Charles Subaru, you have your hand up. Yes, I do. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Tina. Uh, I have a question. I'm wondering if you have any experience with uh, the new crowdfunding um, uh, internet sites that are out there, like Kickstarter.com or Indiegogo. And if you do, how do they work? Yes, you know, that falls right square in the category of individual fundraising, although it does, you know, have some similarities right. with foundation fundraising in that you need to put together written and, and media materials that capture people's interest. Um, that's a subject for another, another webinar. Um, I'm, I'm going to not try to do all the individual stuff today because that's a huge, and it is a really important topic for all of us. But in general, you okay. know, it's Thanks. great. I encourage you to experiment with it and start small, and um, try out, make a little video, um, do something very specific that uh, people in the community care about, feel passionately about. Get a few um, endorsers, um, you know, lined up, and when you launch it, have a whole bunch of people immediately go and like it and Facebook it and um, and share it. So be ready not just to put it online, but to have, you know. 15, 20, 30 people um, start the buzz. Right. Thanks. You're welcome. Great. Good question. Okay. There is actually no other questions. So you had asked that um, raising people's hands if they were a nonprofit. There are 12% of the callers who have raised their hand. So there's 34 folks on the call. Does that give you an idea, or do you want to actually call? Yeah, that's great. Okay, good. Helps me in this, um, just to make sure I say some things that are especially useful to you all. Okay, another thing that funders are going to look for when they decide who to give money to is your capacity to fulfill your promises. You're putting all these ideas and program um, ideas onto your onto paper. Um, do you have the ability to implement your plan? Do you have a capable and involved board of directors? Do you have committed volunteers um, and in-kind donations and support? Is your staff experienced and have the, um, the skills and the background to pull off what you're saying you're going to do? Is it, is it clear who's making the decisions in the organization? Um, 
do you have a realistic budget or budgets? In other words, sometimes they're going to want to know your whole organizational budget, and sometimes all they care about is a is a small, modest project budget. But you should be prepared with both your big organization budget and um, a separate project budget. Is your timeline realistic? And do you have financial systems in place so that you can report where the money has gone? Your credibility is, is also a key factor for a foundation. Even if you haven't been around for very long, if the members of your, of your volunteers and the members of your uh, initiating group have some experience, um, and they can have a wide variety of experience in all kinds of things, if they're passionate and they've got some professional skills, that can be sufficient to demonstrate a good tra a track record. Um, if you've been around for a while or you're wanting to restart, it's important to go back and document some of your accomplishments. You may have focused on all the things that didn't work well, but take some time to appreciate um, all that you did do, all the efforts you made, all the people who expressed interest or came to programs, and all the learning. Sometimes it's sufficient to say, you know, we tried this, it flopped, and, and uh, we learned a lot from it. That will mean a lot to a foundation. It will increase your credibility because of your honesty. Um, let them know if you've been funded by other sources. And in fact, a really smart thing to do is to go to your board members, go to key organizations and volunteers and colleagues and ask them to make some kind of financial or in-kind donation. Um, when I was at Clean Water Action, we'd invite people to give us $5 at the door. And then when we went to funders, we'd say, we have tens of thousands of members across the state. And then actually it was very helpful for lots of reasons, um, politically and um, in election time, et cetera. So um, you, know, you, can, you can demonstrate that you've got a lot of people who are part of your world and who care about your mission. Um, and if you partner, um, your supporters can have credibility that, that you can also um, benefit from. Capable team. So we're looking at these four major things here, and, and this is um, the last one. How well is your board doing its job? Um, what's the composition of your board? Um, do you have a variety of skills? How many board members do you have? Um, you want to have at least five or six, and the ideal number is probably somewhere between eight and 13. If you start getting above 13, um, it starts to get more unwieldy to get everybody together. Um, the diversity, the ethnicity, the um, life experiences, the background, if you're two alike, you are not going to impress a funder as much as if you've got all different kinds of people on your board. Um, the constituency and the community that you represent, are there some volunteers that are serving on your board? Do you have any conflicts of interest? This is a big challenge I've seen in a lot of transition groups, and sometimes it kills the initiatives. And that is that people get involved because they have a business or they have an organization. Um, I had one transition initiative that was started by a group that wanted to prevent a real transition initiative from emerging. And so they created kind of a fake one. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, they didn't realize that a separate transition initiative was going to help them reach diverse sectors of the community. Um, how is the staff, um, you know, is, is the staff too many for the budget? Um, how's the communication? Um, are there too many staff on the board um, in Dominate? Uh, volunteers, 
Clear roles and job descriptions and volunteer job descriptions um, are important. Um, do you use electronic media and, and show that you've got a good database system that's collecting the names of folks? Um, many transition initiatives start out just doing events, but they never really get their um, database infrastructure in place. And then when they've been going for a year or two, and now it's time to go to a funder um, to get bigger funding, they don't have the huge pool of people that they can immediately turn to and ask people to um, you know, support them in, in various ways that would show that there are real live operations. So be sure to get that database in place right away. And be sure that you've got three or four people that are all managing it so that it doesn't get captured. We've seen that happen in a number of initiatives where you know, that list is a gold mine and, and you have to be really careful to protect it from being used, even unconsciously and in a well-meaning way, but people just find it really tempting to use it for whatever they want to, to use it for. And you can really damage the, um, the credibility of your group um, and lose some of your, your credibility with funders. And do you have systems for getting people to resolve conflicts um, where there isn't a lot of bad-mouthing, but people actually um, are willing to work it through, and, and do they, uh, does the organization expect them to, to work it through? Okay, so that's sort of um, an overview of these issues and challenges, and I wanted to open it up now for more of our own conversation. Um, as I mentioned, we are the Reeconomy Project is going to be offering an online course, Resourcing Reeconomy, and there's also going to be the Transition Conversation Series um, for the next several weeks. Thank you, Gaia University, for your facilitation. So let's move into more conversation. Jennifer, we're having trouble hearing you. Um, so I'm going to put you on mute. This is Ava Klinger. Um, I'm going to ask if you've got a question to press the number 3 button again, or sorry, the number 2 button <laughs> um, for, uh, with questions for um, Tina. So press the number 2 if you have a question about the content. All right, Tina, I don't see any questions just yet. Um, hey, Ava, this is Jennifer. I just wanted to check in to see if you can hear me now. Yes, now we are able to hear you. Thank you. Okay, great. Folks, I just want to be transparent that I'm, I live on an off-grid permaculture farm, and sometimes one of my connections goes down. So that was one of my two connections that I'm calling in on. So this is my, my backup connection. Um, Tina, I would suggest since there's no questions, why don't you go ahead and give us a little like teaser um, to uh, tempt us into maybe sharing some little story or something. Well, actually, what I what I thought we could do is um, if people would like to share um, their mission statement, we'll take that one piece and then we can move to sharing our projects. Mm -hmm. um, but I wondered if anybody would like to share in response to these sort of three questions, um, who are you serving, why are you doing the project, and how are your activities going to make the world a better place? Um, would anybody 
like to either share a mission statement they have or would like to take a, a go at picking a few words, like three or four words, to answer each of those questions, you know, like who are you serving or why, just a few quick words. Because sometimes if you identify your key words, you can build your mission statement around literally your 12 favorite words <laughs> and get it down to those two or three sentences. Um, so would anyone like to either share a mission statement um, generally or to take a shot at, at answering the three questions, who, why, and how? And can I also suggest that we continue to take questions if anything Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's just give folks a moment to be daring to raise their hand. Okay, I see a few folks who have their hands up. Um, again, feel free to share the mission statement, answers to the three questions, or by all means, ask questions. So Charles Tibero, go for it. Thanks, Jennifer. Charles again. Um, so it's great because for the past two, we've only had things so far. That's what we've been working on, our mission statement. So as it reads uh, now, this Transition Shiliac's purpose is to encourage people to work together to build a healthy, happy, and peaceful community and environment. We will do this by creating awareness and understanding of climate change and the appropriate use of resources, and empowering the citizens of Shiliac and area to apply practical actions to contribute to the purpose. Great. Great. It's wonderful that you've got such welcoming language, encouraging, working together, empowering, um, clearly for community benefit. Great. Anybody else like wonderful. to share? Wonderful. I also had a follow-up question. You know what? Um, since you've had a chance to ask a question already, do you mind if, if you raise your yeah. hand again and we'll do, stay a little bit on let someone else have a chance and then we'll come back to you? Would that Not be all right? Thanks. Not at all. Okay, great. There's actually not very many people who have their, their hand up, so we'll be coming back to you, Charles, really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so the only other person who has their hand raised is Scarlett? Yes. Um, let's see, this is, this is ours, so I love Charles. I, <laughs> I want that one. <laughs> but ours is, I like ours too. Um, ours is Transition Town Livingston aims to build Livingston's local resilience and independence from fossil fuels and to reduce its carbon emissions by a process of energy descent. We will do this by creating awareness and understanding of our mission and the transition movement, by empowering citizens to apply the transition model to the town of Livingston and surrounds, and envisioning and creating pathways of energy descent and practical actions to build a Livingston with thriving people working in concert with our community and ecosystem. Great. Again, a lot of welcoming language. And you got the um, local resilience and community words in there very nicely. Um, awareness, empowering, pathways, all really great language. Um, depending upon your community, you might want to de-emphasize the transition, focusing on the transition model, um, so that people don't feel like 
the only thing going on is you guys telling them about this thing that they should do. Because uh, sometimes people don't like to be recruited into someone else's model. Um, they'd rather invent things for themselves. And we found, at least on the East Coast, we may have um, some challenges in this regard. I'm not sure. but. Um, people really want to recreate, and many of them won't even use the word transition. Um, so so um, that would be a really, as you think about who you're, who you're serving, um, think about whether there might be some, some hesitancy if it sounds like you're asking them to join your thing, um, as opposed to it being about the community uh, building its local resilience together, as you say. Thanks. That's really helpful. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. So we also have um, Joshua. You had your hand up for a moment, and then it went down. So I don't know if you accidentally did that, but let me just call on you real quick. Joshua, did you want to say something? Yes. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I wasn't sure if I muted myself or not. Um, actually, I was looking around for an statement, but I've forgotten it, which is embarrassing. Um, the community we serve, I guess, are um, the university community and, by extension, the wider town, because the it's the university town where the university makes up about half the population of our town. Um, what issues are we addressing? Well, it's a very input-output kind of economy, um, and it's it's not particularly resilient in in many senses. Um, and how are we addressing it? Well, again, we have we have many different programs, um, and I'm struggling to actually formulate a clear mission statement um, that joins together all of our different activities into one we do gardening projects, reuse projects, skillshare projects, current conversations projects. Thanks, Joshua. This is Tina. I had a hard time hearing, but I think I heard that you've got at least three projects going, garden, reuse, and carbon conversations. That's correct. Um, can you hear me better now if I speak towards the microphone? Oh, yes, that's better. And I remember before you said your funding ends in 2015 and you're trying to plan ahead. That's that's kind of the idea, yeah. Um, and the, the particular pot of funding that we're on is the, um, run by the Scottish government. Um, and it's a, it's a very particular form of funding in that they won't um, they won't provide um, funding for the same project twice. So every time you apply, um, and we're on our second round of funding, you have to come up with new projects or change your old projects in some kind of way to revamp them, revitalize them every time. So I think moving into a third round of funding with the same funder might be quite difficult. Well, welcome to the the world of the you know, the established nonprofit organization. Um, this is to, that all of you can expect this to happen to you, where 
you are successful in getting some initial funding. Maybe you even get two or three years if you're incredibly lucky. And then, then they want you to uh, either they want you to have totally figured out your own funding, um, or they they will only look at you again if you have lots of new programs and activities. And there's several strategies for how you can can um, work with this. One is that you diversify your funding. You can think of it, um, especially for grassroots-based movements and organizations like what we're doing. You want to be using every project you do to build that database and that network of your individual donors and engage them in regular support of your work. Um, that the individual donor base is the most um, it's the most stable form of, of long-term funding. And for example, the endowment that a university puts together um, or, or bequests that a church group might have, an endowment that it might have, um, they, they sustain the organization long into the future. And so um, but the first step of that is to, to begin to build up that large base. So every project you do, you want to be um, inviting people to support the movement, support the network in the community in whatever way is affordable for them, whatever is a significant donation for them. And the second approach to this is that you, you want to have um, people in your organization who are maybe not very good at um, always being reliable, but they're really creative thinkers. And that's part of the diversity of skills that you want to have on your board. If you have all logical, rational, managerial types, and you don't have some free spirit, creative, ambitious types, um, you're going to have a, probably a harder time handling this you know, one, two, three year funding cycle problem. Um, because it's really the imaginative people who will come back and look at the gardening program you had or the carbon conversations and reinvent it and say, well, you know, we learned this from carbon conversations and now we, um, we feel like um, the next stage is to do um, a deepening of neighborly relationships. You know, Transition Streets has been a good catalyst for that. It started out being about solar panels, but um, then it became neighbors developing mutual support. And so you might reinvent the program um, to your funder as it's being reinvented on the ground. Um, if you look around, your, your projects all have um, new and interesting developments emerging, and you can write those up as continuing the mission of your organization. So the, the real trick in good proposal writing <laughs> actually is you, you know, for established groups um, is to take what they already do and recast it um, with some new, new angles and some new pieces, um, some new evaluation and growth, and, and then to, to have it move into the next stage of of development. So you're getting funding for the stuff you've done, but in fact you're reinventing yourself. And so it's, it's both the same old stuff and it's new. How's that for a paradox? <laughs> Great. Very thorough answer, Tina. So we have um, two more folks that would like to talk, and one of them is our 
um, assistant presenter, Nicola Hillary, who I just want to remind everyone is the funding manager at Transition Network, who's been fundraising for environmental and community charities in the UK since 1999. Nicola, I see that you would like to, to contribute right now. Your mic is on. Yes. Uh, I've forgotten I put my hand up, but yes, it was actually uh, for one of the people before when they, um, in their mission statements, they mentioned the transition model and uh, Tina's already said something like that, but I wanted to say the the word transition, unfortunately, is a kind of jargon word in that for people who are hearing it for the first time, it doesn't actually tell them what we're talking about. So the the, the longer mission statement where you actually express the uh, the ideals of environment and community does it you know does tell gives them that picture and tell them what it's about. But the word transition for somebody who's hearing it for the first time, and some of the funders you're going to are hearing this for the first time, it doesn't actually uh, express it. So I just always uh, make sure that I'm really careful in funding applications not to get too far ahead of myself. So immediately I say the word transition, I immediately give some sort of quick definition of it. And immediately if I say the, word, the phrase transition initiative or national hub, then I, I have to explain these things that uh, are jargon. And it, you know, it goes onwards because the word resilience doesn't even mean much to some people. We have to unpack that for them. So that was just my kind of point about remembering that your funders have never heard this before. Mm-hmm. Well, well said, Nicola put myself on deck with that too. I, I when I introduced myself I said that I was involved since two thousand and six with the transition initiative in the US. And we followed Steve Covey's um, Seek First to Understand and Then Be Understood and from two thousand to six to two thousand and eight, even though we were doing permaculture skill shares weekly and um, you know, creating a transition initiative we didn't even use the word permaculture or transition until halfway through the year in 2008, so two and a half years later. And in fact, a lot of people who came to our, our meetings and were in our sort of initiating group didn't even, like, you know, feel into those words until we started, like, actually moving towards um, the decision to become a transition town, like, as a, as a group. So. It's really, I think, key to the seek first to understand, to go into the community and to find out what words they're using, what needs do they have, and then speak to those needs and use that language. I found really, really helpful for getting support, fundraising support, and also to to get people's buy-in to, like, own the initiative. Excellent, both of you. Thank you. So there's no other hands up, but remember Charles had that question. So shall we jump over to him? Yes. Thanks, Charles, for your patience. Yeah, okay, here he is. Charles? No problem. Thanks, no problem. Uh, I have a lot of questions. This is really exciting for me. Um, So in, in regards to the legal structure, when you address that in your presentation, some wonderful information there. And it sounds like the... Uh, method to move forward would be um, with a non-proposition understanding all the uh, restrictions that that incorporates. Um, We're nowhere 
close to establishing real strength in, in, in our local initiatives. We're probably going to operate on a volunteer basis for a while and uh, maybe an affiliate group to um, uh, look for donations that way. I think that's the idea. As we're setting ourselves up, writing the mission statement and things like that, we're using Holacracy as our model to kind of structure ourselves and move forward. Now, Holacracy doesn't really have that seat of power, board of director, of, uh, operating structure. Is that a, a legal entity uh, that can be kind of created into a nonprofit organization? What I'm reading is maybe an LLC might be a, prop, uh, a better way to kind of uh, move forward with a, a Holacracy uh, structure. I'm not sure if this is something you're aware of, but uh, yeah. any comments on that would be appreciated. Thanks. Great. Well, first, you know, I see um, from this slide that I put together that I actually didn't make it very clear, um, the last bulleted item affiliating with an existing organization is actually my recommendation that um, if you are going oh. to get, if you're going to go for funding from foundations or government entities, um, or even corporate foundations or corporate giving programs, they need to be able to say that they're giving their money to a nonprofit. Um, that's how you can get a grant. If you do a business, a limited liability corporation, you can't get, you can't get grants. Now, a nonprofit organization, a nonprofit organization can have a side business um, that brings in income. So it is possible to say be a nonprofit gardening project that, you know, or a transition initiative with a fiscal sponsor of the YMCA or, you know, some local organization that's, that's doing your financial accounting for you and, and providing the legal um, status for you to get a grant, um, but at the same time uh, you're able to still sell calendars or you know, um, run a, a little business you know, that brings in a part of your income. So a nonprofit can have business activities, but a business cannot get grants from foundations. Now, businesses can get some government contracts and funds, and that's a whole other um, side of, of raising, raising money. In terms of holacracy, you ask a very good question, and I, I know many on the phone will probably not be as familiar with holacracy. I encourage you to attend Nick Osborne's Transition Conversation. Uh, I believe it's next week. It'll be next Wednesday. Uh, the 19th, or he's one of the the presenters um, who is who, who is an expert in holacracy, and it's it's a very interesting method for organizational structure and decision making. Um, I I'm still learning it from Nick. It's primarily been used by business organizations. Um, I, I have found, just in general, that nonprofit organizations can retain their voluntary uh, grassroots energy 
have a board of directors that highly respects the grassroots and the volunteers and sees itself as a board in service of the community. So, in fact, their nonprofit status or their um, their board role, even if they're not yet a nonprofit, is really um, a good complement to volunteer and community leadership. They don't try to grab power. Um, and then you can use business decision-making models within projects. So I'm sure Nick will have a lot more to say on this, this topic. Um, and I know Holacracy is used by nonprofit organizations just to bring clarity to the organization's structure. Um, and, and in addition, um, it might be um, very interesting to use with projects where there is a, a group of people who are focused on getting, achieving some particular outcomes. I hope that's helpful. Great. Thanks, Tina. Tina, I don't, this is Jennifer again. I don't know if you said this. I might have missed it, but I thought I would just add it because it's just something to pay attention to when you're looking for a fiscal sponsor. I both for a while had a fiscal sponsor and then also now have a nonprofit which gives fiscal sponsorship to other groups. And from my experience, a lot of times they, they'll charge 3 to 5% of whatever your money raised is so that they can um, deal with, you know, bookkeeping and accounting and, you know, any legal things that come up or just the, you know, sheer fact that they're providing this fiscal sponsorship. So just something to, you know, make sure that you're accountable to and um, a good question to ask before you start that relationship. Yes. Yes, well said. And three to five percent is very cheap. Um, it is. Sometimes they're, you know, ten, fifteen percent. Um, it depends on which tax bracket they're in. You know, if they're, you know, really low, then they don't have a lot of accounting um, accountability. <laughs> right. That's right. Nicola, I wondered if you'd like to say a few words about what um, you've seen in the UK or in general. Uh, yes, I mean, I suppose. In the UK context, this idea of a fiscal sponsor is not quite so common, uh, although I have recommended something similar lots of times myself to really small groups uh, who've got a project they want to do, and obviously they're not constituted in any way. Uh, and if they can find a local charity who you know, will allow... They basically work in partnership with that charity, but that charity's name goes on the funding application and the mon money goes to that charity, and they're sort of taken on as a project to that charity, then that can work. But it, it is, I think it's a bit more difficult in the UK because, and it may be the types of funders we have in the UK, uh, that perhaps there aren't quite so many around, particularly that focus on the environment. So the big issue will always be there's a conflict between the, the established charity wanting to fundraise from the same sources that the unestablished group wants that charity's help with, if that makes sense. So they, you mm -hmm. know, there might be a funder that they're both looking at, but the charity can only make one application to that uh, funder. Yes. So the, the unconstituted group has to be really aware of that conflict, and that's why it might be difficult for local charities to actually step in and help in that way. But I wouldn't rule it as an option... I've recommended it lots of times because sometimes it's just the easy way to get started uh, and try and get something off the ground. Um, in, 
I mean, if you're talking about non-profits in the UK, then it really has to be a registered charity with the Charity Commission. Uh, and I've not actually been through that process myself, but I understand it can get quite involved with the Charity Commission and can take a few months. Uh, so that's always something to bear in mind. But we do, in the UK, there is a specifically environmental charitable object, which is quite handy. We don't have to, you don't have to invent yourself around something cultural or community-based. There is now a specific environmental one, so that, that does help. And I, I think great. the important thing is, um, you know, if you go down that route, and perhaps Tina will say a bit more about this, is, is being able to present a group of people who are your board of trustees, and, and that's the sort of, you know, the, the, the way you get started. Yes, yes. That the um, that the board of directors can can carry you forward, or an advisory board, or advisory group. Yes, the um, we found in the U.S. the same challenge that um, existing organizations or organizations that might be a good fiscal sponsor might feel some competitive, um, you know, responses, or or just might be worried that um, this new project that's coming up might push them aside. And when that's a significant issue, it's, um, it's, it's really smart to get together and create your own collaboration. We did this um, very effectively a number of times um, in, in Washington and, and in the Northeast where we would go in the environmental community to our major so-called competitors and we would craft a proposal where everybody played different roles. And so instead of leaving it up to the funder to decide, we came together and figured out the different roles and responsibilities um, so that even when people didn't necessarily like each other's organizations <laughs> or they were competitive um, in various ways, we, we agreed that when we approached funders, we would be united, show our collaboration, because otherwise the funders would be forced to pick and choose, and none of us would, you know, somebody was going to lose. And I think that's actually a really healthy process to happen at all levels. I think of it as recreating the ecosystem, that we are helping everybody find what their gifts are and, and contribute that piece um, to help the broader movement. All right. Well, are, we, um, are people feeling satisfied that they got some things <laughs> that they wanted? Hopefully. I, I actually have a few announcements, and I was going to suggest that maybe <clears throat> for our tech out closing, we could hear from three to five people and just hear what they feel like they appreciated about the call or what maybe next steps they might have. Great. Yeah? And then I'll hand it back to you to wrap us up. Does that sound good, Tina? Great. Yeah. Okay. So while I'm making my announcements, I'll, I'll give you that um, – that little drop of information again so that you can decide if you want to raise your hand. So after I'm done with announcements, I'm going to ask for three to five people. You... Sounds like we... There oh, she is. Um, there I am. Sorry about that. Um, what I'll repeat myself. So if you could share, again, your name, where you're calling in from, and then just briefly, you know, like 30 seconds or less, what you appreciated about the call and if you have any, like, Take away, like a next step, like, oh, I'm going to go write my mission statement, or, 
oh, I'm going to go, you know, look for a funder. Um, so a hand raised with the number two will let me know that you're one of those three or four people that would like to share. And then as far as announcements go, I just wanted to um, clarify the dates and upcoming transition conversation calls. So on Tuesday, February 18th, same time, same place, you can use your same call-in information and screen share link. We have creating an effective and engaged team with Nick Osborne, just as Tina mentioned. Then the following week on February 25th, we have building personal resilience, how to sustain your momentum with um, Sophie Banks. Then the final call of the four-week series is how does change happen? What is the transition model of change? And that's Tuesday, March 4th with Tom Hemphrey. So I really hope that you'll be able to attend all of the call series. And if not, um, there is not like a prerequisite that you need to attend um, the one before to attend the other. You're more than welcome to skip a call if you need to. Um, Gaia University, who is partnering, partnering with the Transition Network to offer this call series, offers monthly calls free to the public. So you'll have the opportunity to opt into our newsletter, which pitches the various calls that we offer. And um, I'll send you an email at some point where you can decide that. And those calls are either a call series like this transition conversation or our associates in the university offer two calls a month about the project work that they're doing in the world. And a lot of times it has to do with permaculture or community organizing, transitions, um, gardening, just all sorts of wonderful projects. So we're delighted to have this partnership going right now. I want to thank Nicola and Tina for your wonderful presentation. I'm under the understanding that um, we're going to be sending you uh, a copy of a copy of Tina's material. She can um, remind you about that. And that's the end of my announcements. I don't see anyone who has their hand up that wants to check out. So let me just give you another reminder about that. Again, you can just share any appreciation you have for the call or any next steps that are popping up for you. Okay, I do see a couple of hands now. So let's see, we've got Meredith Kirby. Hi, I'm Meredith. I'm calling in from Santa Cruz. Um, this was a super useful call. Um, I really liked that you gave us like really clear um, instructions and guidelines for um, like steps that we can take to do things in the real world. Um, and I took really good notes, and I think I'm going to use all of this information in the future. And um, the question that I have is if it's okay to invite some of my friends to the the future calls in this series because I think there are some other people that I know that would benefit from this kind of information. Yeah, I'll answer that, Tina. So that's absolutely welcome, Meredith. These calls are open to the public, so you can invite anyone who you want. They don't need to be part of the Transition Initiative or Guy University. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed the call. All Thanks, right. Meredith. So have a few more folks. How about Martin Grimshaw? Yeah, hi, I hope you can hear me. Uh, I love the way you pronounce my name. Um, so Martin Grimshaw from the south coast of England in Brighton. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed that. It was really helpful. Uh, it helped me to sort of just uh, get clarity and focus as much as anything. I'm not quite clear about my next steps. I guess that might be some feedback, is that I've kind of got lots of information 
Um, and maybe a little bit of time built into the design of this might have been something to help us maybe talk together or have some time to think about what our next steps are. So um, I have a, a sense of kind of uncertainty to take away with me, although lots of jumbled ideas <laughs> about what to do next. So I guess that's kind of feedback, but also that's just a realistic state of where I am. But generally, thank you. I really appreciate this. And especially I appreciate it being offered free of charge for users. I really hope you guys have got paid. <laughs> Thank you so much, Martin. So this was really, um, we had uh, Transition Network had funding to provide an in-depth course that would help people prepare a proposal, a bid to submit to funders. So we would actually form a, a peer support team and guide them through. And they hired me to, to do that course. And I said to them, oh, given that we're only going to be able to help a small number of people, what if we do um, a free webinar so that we can offer at least some of this information to everyone. So instead of only serving you know, 10 people, we can um, at least give some general suggestions to a much larger number. So that's where this call came from. And if you're interested in the peer-supported, um, guided, practical you know, proposal writing course, that's going to start on March 27th, and check out the Reeconomy Project webpage at transitionnetwork.org um, to, to fill out an application. It is free um, this time around. It's our pilot. Great. Wonderful. Well, I think that's exactly where we should wrap up. We're at time. So I know there was a few other folks that had their hands up, but I want to honor um, where we're at and um, just give Nicola and Tina um, a chance to say their farewells, and then we'll turn everyone's mics on, and you can shout out your gratitude all at once. So I'll hand it over to Nicola. Is there any last words that you would like to say to wrap up? I just want to say uh, maybe to all of you, but also Martin, about next steps. I think your first next step is to ask yourself, is my group got a constitution? Are we a registered group of any sort, or are we a non-profit? And that might be what you have to sort out first. And your second next step is then uh, to start looking for, you know, some easy funding sources. Uh, and I'll just mention to people in the UK, awards for all. That's all. Great. Again, thank you, Nicola, for, for taking the time to be with us today. Tina, go ahead and, and close us out. And like I said, just after, I'll turn everyone's mics on. Great. Thank you so much, Jennifer, and Ava, and Naresh, and Nicola, uh, and Fiona, and all the folks at Guy University. And um, if you all have um, you know, a, a, a short question or you'd like a little bit of additional support, um, feel free to uh, check out the transitionnetwork.org website or to email me. And you will be getting this presentation in, um, in a PDF format. Thanks again. Great. Okay, well, it's been a pleasure to share this time with you all, and everybody's mics are on. Right. And feel free to chat up. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck. Good morning. Thanks from Sweden. <laughs> Thanks from Sweden again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Good luck, everyone. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.
Thank you. Tina and Nicola, if you would like to stay on just for five minutes, you could be brief. Sure. Sure. 